What is up, my friends? Welcome to Rebel and Create's Fatherhood Field Notes podcast, where I interview incredible fathers, gaining wisdom from their stories for you and I to grow in our craft. I'm your guide, Ned Shout, father to five kiddos, currently ages 8 to 15, and husband to my rad wife, Sarah, working on our 17th year of marriage. So yep, I am in the thick of it, the adventure of fatherhood. And I'm working daily to rebel against the low expectations for fathers and create a world where fatherhood matters. You and I have the greatest opportunity to impact our world through the way we embrace our fatherhood role. I believe the role of the father is to serve, guide, provide, protect, and have fun in the messiness of it all. I'm so excited for you to meet today's guest, Ian Castillo. We have been friends since childhood. So to get to sit down, talk about fatherhood with him was such a treat. I know you're going to love it and you're going to laugh because he's a funny guy. But what I love that we dig into and that he really uncovers for me is that as fathers, you are uniquely qualified to be your kid's dad. You offer to them what no one else can. So enjoy this conversation as we dig into fatherhood with my friend, Ian. Welcome to Fatherhood Field Notes podcast. I am beyond excited to be hanging out with an old friend, Ian Castile. Ian, what's up, my friend? What's going on, Ned? Dude, we have been friends since what, second grade? I was going to say third grade, but it could be second grade. Maybe we knew each other since second grade, but we became friends in third grade. Yeah. And uh, grew up very close to each other, similar um, streets, maybe just a mile away, walked to each other's houses all the time, sneaking through the golf course. Um, And we grew up in a small town. We were just talking about it last time we connected about being able to walk five miles or so home from school with nobody paying attention to us. Yeah, that was a bad idea on the part of our parents. I don't know. Maybe it was a great idea. I think we're overly protective these days. Yeah. So I, when you said we were walking back and forth, I don't think we walked. We were we were riding our bikes mostly. Yeah, we and definitely rode bikes. Hill, for you coming to our house, it was going uphill. But for me going to your house, it was downhill. There was that mean chihuahua that would chase us on our bikes. <laughs> Yes, I do. At the top of the hill. And you'd have to ride on the right side of the road fast enough so that it didn't get to your tires. There was a strategy coming down your hill, going up to that hill to get your speed up so you could go past the dog without it getting you. (laughs) That's so funny. So as I was thinking, okay, share a couple stories. I have two stories that I wanted to share. One is, I think your mom was more lenient than my mom. Um, and we would sit on your bedroom floor and we would listen to Adam Sandler CDs of his prank phone calls, his songs. And I, I mean, it was probably on like a little CD player boombox. And I just remember laying on the floor, laughing our asses off to Adam Sandler. You, you know, I fired that up the other day through like <laughs> a Spotify account. I was like, God, you know, I can listen to anything. What, what haven't I heard for a long time? And I came across those Adam Sandler tapes yeah they're still super funny dude so what is uh when you think of that what's like a one or two that you go this is just still at you know late 30s i just laughed my ass off listening to the, the psychologist who farts during the- <laughs> yes. that one is classic that one is so good the oh. goat the goat's also good i mean definitely more next level as far as you know the farting one's just childish that one's a little uh a little much but it's still good 
it's incredibly profane. I can't believe that like we were listening to that and our parents were like, yeah, they're 11. That's fine. You know, there's every curse word, every sexual theme in the book. <laughs> I just, yeah. If I walked into my 11 year old son listening to that, it would, I don't think I could, I think I'd shut it off. So my, it was funny. My dad, he, he would hear like, even like when I was in high school and stuff, he kind of figured, well, in high school, you're going to listen to what you want. But he heard that I was listening to like a Tenacious D album. Yes. And he like said I had to like delete it off my computer. It wasn't appropriate for me. <laughs> so I do actually think my mom was a little bit more permissive around that kind of stuff. But And what's funny now is I, I actually have apps on my kid's phone. So I have a 15 year old and I get it's called Bark and I'll get an email and it'll say Brooklyn's listening to profanity. Right. So then I can go click on the link and it'll pull up all the lyrics so I can go, okay, this is what it means. So I don't know, man. It's like, I do that. And I feel like I'm relatively lenient. Um, okay. The, the last thing is when, uh, in the goat, when they throw, they tell him to go out for a pass and you hear the football whizzing through the air and then it just hits him. He's like, I don't have thumbs, you know, oh my gosh, that kills me. Um, okay. The next story that if your name ever comes up, this story. I mean, everybody I know knows this story. And so we got to share it with the world because it's classic. So we're in Bible class. We went to a Seventh-day Adventist high school because our parents didn't want us to have babies or do drugs in high school. I think we've determined that's why we were sent there. And in Bible class, you were drawing, I don't, dude, you were it's probably sophomore, junior year. You're drawing um, stick figures, doing things. And it happened to be our principal and our Bible teacher who were married. And the teacher walks up to you. She was old. She walks up to you and snatches the piece of paper out of your hand. And in a stroke of genius, you took it out of her hand, put it in your mouth, chewed it up. And she's yelling at you, Ian, spit it out, Ian, spit it out. And you swallow it. Uh, And it was classic. I mean, you got in trouble, but I mean, far less than if she would have seen what you were drawing. (laughs) Well, the, the background, I was, I was desperate. I was like a caged animal in that situation. Cause I was already at like two strikes. I had already been like suspended and I had to write a special letter just to be accepted back to the school. Ian, like, you know, we're paying money for a private school. Right. Seemed to be messing around or getting like going to the principal's office still and like being suspended. That's not okay. And obviously I didn't really change my ways immediately. And so I, I drew this, picture uh, <laughs> or depiction that I certainly did not want to have the teacher nor the principal see. And she took it, actually, she was reading like some Bible verse and <laughs> she took it off of my desk and just silently placed it on her desk and face down. So I knew she didn't see it. And as soon as the bell rang, I darted off. Cause I'm thinking in my mind, how am I going to get out of this? I'm yes. not cool yet, but how am I going to get out of it? So I went immediately up and grabbed it. And I figured that I would just grab it and like put it in my pocket and walk away and say, sorry for drawing class. I'll take whatever the punishment is for that, but I'm not going to let you see what's on the paper. (laughs) But then she corners me at the end of class and like demands that I give it to her. And she's like going and like, I'm closing in on me. I'm going into the corner. I'm shrinking back. Can't let her have it. So I go around and I go, I know what I can do. I'll destroy the evidence. And I put a whole piece of paper in my mouth and chewed it up until it was just in my mouth and then spit it in the garbage can. And you know, oh, the, the story, okay. I didn't get in trouble. <laughs> you didn't get in trouble at all, huh? Not for that. No, <laughs> man. I just remember, I remember, dude, it was, 
Dude, it's genius. Hilarious. Yeah. There's nobody who made me laugh more in middle school and high school than you. That is a fact. That's, that's a high praise. I'll take that compliment. Yeah. Yeah. So now let's talk about you as a dad. Now that we know, you know, your, your growing up uh, history and how that was. <laughs> so, I mean, my two girls love them more than life itself. And yeah. So how, so how many years you've been married? We got married in July of 2013. So we're going on almost, almost eight years now, I guess. Wow. That's a long time. Nice. Nice. And you have two girls and how old are they? Uh, Olivia, my oldest is six and a half, almost seven. And Sadie is, she just turned four not so long ago. Okay. So you're kind of stepping into a new stage. Like the toddler stage is pretty much coming to a close and now it's almost starting that elementary stage. Yeah, totally. I mean, they're, they're certainly not babies anymore. They can do almost everything for themselves roughly. So it's not like I would say a lot of the physical labor of early parenthood, the waking up in the middle of the night, the right. was carrying the kids all around. Um, that part is likely over. And so now it shifts from like a physical labor to like, I, I think almost like a, a mentorship or like an emotional labor about mm. what are the right decisions I need to make to hopefully, you know, make the best decisions on behalf of, of my kids and their future. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. A couple, a couple more questions um, just to get to know you. So people know you. So where do you, does your family live? What area? Uh, we moved to Wana Creek. That's where my wife and I met and we've kind of always been focused in the East Bay area, but we've been in Wana Creek again. We've been there a handful of years. And yeah. So around. the Bay area essentially. Yeah. East Bay area. Wana Creek is where we live now. We've lived there for, about four years now. Okay. And then what do you do? Just 30 seconds. What do you do for a living to provide for the family? I'm a financial advisor. And what, if you ask my daughter, she said, she says, I just tell people what to do with their money. <laughs> Not far from the truth. So, all right, perfect. Nice. And, uh, and okay. So Bay area financial advisor, married eight years, couple kids. As you think about becoming a father, what has been the best resource to you, whether it be, you know, first becoming a father, the baby stage, now moving into the new stage, what have been some of the best resources for you? I mean, it's got to be friends, seeing people who are in kind of similar life experiences, similar areas, similar stages in their life. Um, it's kind of, it's kind of tough too. Cause I, when I think about like what the traditional answer should be, it's like, Oh, well, you'll look to, to, to your, your parents or to, to books. I said, obviously, there's some reading I did on on matters. Um, I talked to my dad about things and stuff too. But one one thing that I kind of um, just to illustrate kind of the differences, I think of how fatherhood has changed in just one generation. Really, is I was talking to my dad right when I think Olivia was first born, and I had taken time off work, and he he's he's at the at the house with me, and I go in, and Olivia. Had, a stinky diaper I had to go change. And he kind of follows me into the bedroom. He's like, oh, what's, you know, what are you doing here? I was like, well, I'm changing the diaper. And he kind of sits and thinks back for a second. He's like, yeah, I don't think I ever did that with you. <laughs> like, you never changed my diaper? He's like, you know, maybe a couple times, but it wasn't like the thing that I did. And I was like, oh my God, if, if I had, if I told Sarah that I was like, I'm not going to do a diaper. It's like, oh. <laughs> it wouldn't work. And like, if, a lot of people I talked to said, yeah, that's how it was. And that was just a one, a one generation shift. I think the requirement for fatherhood or the expectations for modern fatherhood 
even like in the eighties when we were born, it's a lot different now than it was then. Why do you think that is? I mean, I've never really thought about it much, but it's like changing a diaper, just like you said, seems like a normal thing that I would do. So the idea that I wouldn't do that, is it, there was more role definition or was it, I mean, I don't know. What do you think? You know, I never really thought of the answer to that, but it's, it's, I think it has to do maybe with like economics to a certain degree. Mm. So I think back in like prior generations, it was much more common. And maybe I live in a isolation in the Bay area where it's so expensive. The expectation is frankly that both parents work. Right. So when both parents are working, both parents also help out with all the, the household chores and all that. Right. Working the cleaning, the changing the diapers, all that stuff. But maybe, you know, just a generation ago, I think it was very normal for there to just be a one income household, right? The husband would go work, the wife would stay at home, and she would be the homemaker and, and the guy would go out and make the money. And I think as as just the economy and society has changed, is that most people I know, at least in this area, um, there are two income households, two parents are working. And when two parents are working, you got to, it's an equal load you got to bear. So right. that, if I had to guess, that's probably the biggest factor that I would, but it makes it hard too, because you can't go back and say, oh, well, you know, for, for two, two or three generations, I talked to my dad or my grandparents or other family members to see how, you know, how are things? And I said, well, the expectations are different now. It's not yeah. And I think in a lot of ways, it's, it's good. You know, I know that some people get frustrated by, um, feeling like their like masculinity is somewhat being taken away. But when I think about fatherhood, I don't think that's the case with this. I think it's really a, a great opportunity to be able to be more engaged, even with your little ones. So I, I, I love it. I mean, I love babies too, though. I don't, I don't, I don't begrudge it at all. It's the whole, it's all part of the, the whole process. You right. Know? It's, it's really, I mean, if you kind of think about what, like our DNA or what we're, we're here to do. It's like, at the end of the day, we're, we're animals designed to procreate and playing a role in, in helping nurture the ones that you, you help bring into the world is, is vital. So yeah, as far as cooking some, cooking some dinners and cleaning the kitchen and changing the diapers, that's not something I begrudge. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a great segue to my next question, which is when you think of the role of the father, what do you think of? What, is, what would you define the role of the father as? Uh, I don't know. I mean, the dynamic in every kind of relationship or household is different, but, um, and I think art is like, I'm, I tend to be probably more silly with the kids, mm-hmm. do a lot more of like the rough housing, throwing them around, wrestling on the bed, that kind of stuff. Um, I think that's an important part of it, but I also think, you know, it depends on your personality, right? There, 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 every relationship is a little bit different. And if, if you have something that, you know, every household kind of d- divides what, you know, what you're good at. So in our house, like I primarily run the finances and I'm responsible for everything outside of the house. Like, you know, if, if the lawn needs to be mowed, not that I mow the lawn, but um, if the lawn needs to be mowed, if the car needs to go have an oil change, that's like dad work, right? Yeah. Yeah, and I think to the certain degree, the roles that you take on—that's uh, kind of the role you have to, to 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 use to set as an example for for how things are done and the approach you take to getting those chores done, the necessities of life. There's a lot of lessons. So, I mean, you're just a guide uh, for your kids. The role of, of father is not necessarily that different than the role of a mother. I don't necessarily think, but I think one of the the questionnaires you had asked was this exact question, and what I actually felt was. Um, 
particularly growing up too, I would get frustrated so much and I would like kind of have like emotional meltdowns. I would like get so mad tantrums. Well, you know, you're not so different than your kids, right? The apple doesn't fall very mm. far. The only difference is you have an entire lifetime of experience with kind of this, the same problems probably that your kids are going to have, right? And you say, well, you know, here's how I dealt with this. Here's how hopefully I'm, I've become a, a reasonably successful or at least functional adult. And you have the benefit of experience coming from the same background as them pretty much. Right. Man, dude, and, and I want to dig into this question for a bit because this is something that I've been saying for a while. I've been saying, um, you know, like with Rebel and Create and, and what I'm doing with the podcast is I want dads to know that they matter and that their kids need them. So I've been saying like, your kids need you. They don't need me. They don't need the guy next door who has the wakeboard boat or whatever it is you're comparing to. They need you. But I've just been saying that. But the way that you had put it is you said, you know, your kids are like you physically and personality wise. So as a father, you are uniquely qualified and prepared to use your similarities and experiences to help guide your kids as they navigate the world. And I thought, dude, that is so beautifully put and is the answer to what I was looking for. You know, it's like, how often do you run into, I mean, even think about your four and six-year-old, you run into personality traits that you probably like and probably don't like about yourself coming out in your kids, right? My mom says this to me all the time. I always joke about what's, uh, you know, what the latest that Olivia's up to or a tantrum. And she's like, this sounds very familiar to something <laughs> I knew as a little boy. And she always jokes, she says, as hard of a child as you were, you will receive at least that much difficulty as a parent with your kids when you have them. And not that my kids are difficult, but it's like, yeah, I'm sure I was a, a pain in the butt for my parents many, many, many times. And my guess is we're just getting started with my girls. <laughs> <laughs> but I think your perspective on it, I think the parenting perspective is a little bit different too from the generation is like, you aren't just raising your kids to like send them off one day. You are, you are looking at your role as a guide and you're looking at, I'm uniquely qualified to be your guide. So, I mean, so what does that mean to you? Are you putting yourself at, you know, six-year-old Ian? Are you thinking about how you wish your parents would have responded? Like, how does that help you come alongside your kid? I think both of the things that you just said, I I mean, it's funny because you definitely see yourself a lot in your kids. And I remember certain things. I'm like, oh yeah, I remember when I was in first grade. I remember when I was in second grade, what was important to me, what I remember about life. Hmm. What it likes to do. Um, and so I just, I try to see the world through their eyes and it really helps kind of refresh your memory about what life was like back then. And it helps just to provide the perspective. Cause I think, you know, basically 50% of their DNA, 50% of who they are is exactly who you are. Right. And that just gets back into the, the whole background is there's no one else who has more similarities, mostly genetic uh, but also personality-wise too, which maybe isn't a direct 50% link. Um, but it's like, who, who else knows them better? Who else has the similarities to them, um, but with more experience to kind of be their mentor through life? Man, I think that's so beautiful. And if if dads could really lean into, well, this, you know, because I think we put a lot, we can put a lot on the moms, like the mom's really responsible for so much. But to think this little human being, this person is half of me, and I have something unique to come and bring alongside. And I've been there, you know, like you're saying, I remember first grade, I've been there. Um, do you find yourself having grace for your kid 
in first grade when they think that, you know, whatever's a real big deal to them. And now you're, you know, late thirties going, dude, that doesn't matter at all. Like what Timmy said to you at school doesn't matter at all. Do you find yourself, uh, I don't want to say discrediting because now, you know, or allowing them to go through it. Like, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Like, as far as like, do I, I, I show more empathy for them if they're, they're showing like struggle around something that I know with my perspective is not really a big deal. Yeah. Because you lived it. Right. So it's like on one hand, yes, I can be a guide. I've lived it, but I don't want to treat them like they're 38 years old. Right. I want to allow them a little bit of leeway to like learn from them, their own ups and downs. Yeah. I mean, you remember when you were a kid, like, you know, any small detail, which we now understand is completely meaningless and insignificant is like your whole world crashing down. Right. And I don't know. I don't think that the right approach, at least for me with, with my kids is to say, oh, you don't understand. That doesn't really actually mean anything. Cause right at that moment, it means everything to them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whether it's, you know, striking out at baseball or, uh, you know, having some friends not be nice to you or whatever the case is, it's like, that's the, that's their whole world. And I don't know. I, I for me, I, I think I do have some degree of empathy, but then at the same time too, this is where I see like a lot of my parents in me too. Cause I'm like, you know, I, I, I maybe not empath- empathetic enough when it comes to enforcing like the rules and I don't want to hear their excuses and I just need you to fall in line and do it. <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah. Yeah, man. What I find, especially having, you know, a uh, 15 year old is just listening and not having the answer. You know, because I'm like, dude, what you're for struggling with right now really doesn't matter that much. But to listen and just listen without an answer, you know, and that's something that I'm really working on is having uh, that that's trait. The part. It's a, so the, the the joke we had an old coworker. Anytime people would would talk about those issues where there wasn't like necessarily a resolution, the the response would be like, "That sounds like a you problem, not a <laughs> problem." <laughs> It's uh, funny. I should just uh, do, say that to my kids and see how that works. Um, okay. So yeah, I love your answer on the role. I think if fathers could really dig into realizing and believing and knowing that their kid is 50% them and that uniquely qualifies them personality and DNA similarities and world experience that they can come alongside. I think that's killer. Um, when you think about being a father and we've kind of talked about it a little bit in the sense of you know, with your four and six year olds, you, you are conflicted. You're like, come across yourself, right? You find yourself. What is something you've learned about yourself as a father? Because I know in being married, right? Like there's conflict, right? And so there's things I realize about myself that I do or don't like same with my kids. So when you think about being a father, what's something you've learned about yourself, either that you like, and you're really patient or, oh man, I, I really need to grow in this area. Yeah, it's a lot more growth oriented than <laughs> myself on the back stuff. You know, when you think about, I always knew I wanted to have kids and mm. you envision it's like, oh yeah, they're going to be like my buddies. They're going to like, like all the things that I like, but that's not always the case, right? It's, it's, I think I'm, I'm, I'm pretty quick to kind of reprimand them. And if I, I, I don't give them as, as much leeway as maybe they need. And I, I think back about like, if I punish them or send them to their room, I was like, how much of of that was them deserving of like a punishment versus me just being like tired and not wanting to put in the effort to try mm. to find a more eloquent solution to whatever this problem is right now. So um, I often find my myself kind of regretting. I'm like, oh, I 
really should have probably handled that better. Um, and what I learned about myself effectively, I mean, to answer your question is that, you know, parenting, I really thought that it was going to be something like a lot more innate, a lot more just kind of built mm. in to, to who you are. And I was just going to, it was going to come to me naturally being a good dad. Um, but it's, it's not that it's work. It's like anything else. Like if you need practice at it and you need to continue to, to work on yourself and whether that's reading, talking to friends, talking to parents, um, it's kind of like a job. It's a skill. It's not like an inherent quality. Um, you got to work at it to get good, just like anything else. And that's tough because when you're, you know, dealing with cleaning the house, going to work, handling all the other things in your life, it's like, where do you find time to like, focus on improving your skills as a parent or a father. It's like, well, <laughs> yeah. maybe Dude, that, yeah. that's a fantastic answer. Cause, and I don't think most people think about it that way. You know, like you think, okay, innately, uh, yeah, I'm a provider. I'm a protector. Those things maybe come somewhat naturally, but being a parent is a skill and I got to go to work on it. But I don't know that anybody thinks that. I mean, clearly when you get into marriage, you realize very quickly, like this isn't something that I'm just naturally good at. I got to work a lot to make this thing work, right? Why yeah. wouldn't it be the same with kids? And even I would, I don't, marriage is a, like really high as importance for me. I get people have their stories and stuff happens. So let's set that aside for a minute. Your kids are your kids forever, regardless of what happens in that. So to invest in that skill as a parent, dude, is critical. And if you think about your own personal life and legacy, like when you and I are 80 years old, I mean, am I going to be more impressed with my skills as a business owner or you as a financial advisor compared to if my grandkids and kids are standing around, you know, my room wanting to be around me, you know? Yeah, that's a pretty good accomplishment. It, it, the way I think about it too is it, it's like you you have kind of a, a longer runway. Like I think Sarah and I are done. The two kids is is all we're going to have, but you have a much greater uh, uh, expanse of kids, right? Your oldest is fifteen. How old is your youngest? Yeah, uh, eight. Eight. So that's like a seven year expanse. I have a three year expanse. So you're going to be a dad like with for kids for a lot longer. And I'm kind of thinking, I'm like, ah, you know, I'm probably going to start getting really good at like this dad thing in like 10 years after I have 10 more years of practice. <laughs> I'm like, oh, wait, that's when like most of my, like my, my in the trenches dad work is like going to be over right when I'm starting to get good at it. Maybe we should have more. <laughs> <laughs> I, that's what I told Sarah. I'm like, I would kill it at having a toddler now. Yeah, like I'd be so <laughs> no problem. Like timeout. I'm not emotionally attached to this situation. You're in a timeout or whatever. It would just be so much easier. But what's funny is how, how being a parent is, is as soon as you nail having a two-year-old, well, now they're three and now they're different, you know? Right. So it's like constantly on your toes, which is if we could, if we could like be excited about that skill, like you're talking, make it a craft, make it like I'm going to go to work regularly on myself. Then it's a great journey. I think what some dads tend to do is just, they go put all their eggs into work and maybe a hobby and they're missing that opportunity. Well, I mean, I think you, you got to have a break too. Um, that's the other thing. It's like, it's hard to try to work on that skill. Like when you come home and you're just deadbeat, all you want to do is drink a beer, eat a big dinner and just go right to bed. And it's like, right. that's all I have the time and energy for. And I think you do need that break too. But for me, I feel guilty when I do that kind of stuff. Cause I'm like, I'm focusing on me time. I should be focusing on them time. There's only a limited amount of 
of years that they're going to be under my roof, hopefully. Right. 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 Yeah. But I think it's good just to have a balance, right? It can't be every single day is this epic dad day. You got to give yourself some space, but I think that uh, checking in with yourself is, is good. So, um, all right. This podcast is fatherhood field notes and we've already been doing it. You've opened up your field notes to us, sharing your life, where you're at. And the theme behind it is rebel and create. And the idea with rebel and create, it could be applied to anything, but I am rebelling against being on my phone at the dinner table so that I can create family dinner nights, or I'm rebelling against, you know, men don't change diapers because I want to, you know, create whatever. So what's something when you think of the term rebel and create, what comes to mind for Ian? So that was another of the questions you said you're going to ask. And I feel like I have a a crappy answer because (laughs) I've never really thought of myself as being rebellious. I can think of a lot of rebellious things that you have done. Uh, A lot of mailboxes who would disagree with you. I guess. Okay. I guess that's, that's true. But when it comes to like <laughs> my kids, I'm like, I guess like I'm rebelling against, well, I, what I said is I'm not rebelling against, I'm, I'm kind of a conformist. But what I'm, I sort of said jokingly was the conformist is like, you're going to, you're going to have it all. You're going to do mm. it all. I have a good career. You're going to have a great marriage. You're going to have six pack abs. You're going to go on family vacations <laughs> all the time. You're going to coach the little league team. You're, you're going to be like the, the perfect person. Right. And for that, it's like, I think you got to like pick and choose your battles. So like, I would say that's almost sort of in my mind, that's kind of the template that most people try to follow. And I guess what I'm, I'm rebelling against would be to say, it's not how it's going to be. It's going to be messy. You might get fat. You might not get all the things done. Uh, you might have to sacrifice your career uh, to, to focus on family stuff. And I think coming to terms with that reality is, is one that's, that's tough for me. So I guess I would say I'm, I'm trying to rebel against what I'd say the stereotypical idealistic template of being a modern dad is the have it all mentality, which I certainly want, but I think as the years go on, I realize how, how impossible that, that goal really is. But I think that's a great answer. So it's like, you're rebelling against the idea that I'm going to look perfect to everyone else out there in the world. And I'm going to create a life where I'm actually living my life. I'm actually enjoying my life, which means that I'm accepting the fact that it's messy, right? But I'm going to keep getting up every day and going after it. So if it's my marriage or if it's my kids or if it's my career and like some days my career will be better. Some days my marriage will be better. Some days my relationship with kids will be better. And so it's just like living your freaking life and not just so focused on like this outward Cause that's where I think we get stuck sometimes is this outward, like it appears like I got it all. And then, you know, one day just shit falls apart, you know? And, oh. and that's because you're, you're faking, like, you're not admitting like, dude, yesterday when you and I fought, you know, with your wife, like that sucked, but like, can we be oh. homies again? That's real. You know, you're, you, you and your wife are homies. I like that. Yeah. We, we have like, um, gang signs and, you know, some, some different handshakes that we can't show anybody publicly. <laughs> Good. It's nice. It's nice to have those inside jokes. <laughs> um, so I like what you're rebelling against. And I think what you're creating is actually living your life. You're picking up what I'm putting down. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, okay. So a couple 
a couple of things to, to, to jump into before I ask my final question. So when I asked, like, is there any stories we definitely want to share? You brought up the story of your oldest daughter, Olivia's bad report card in kindergarten. What's that? What's that all about? Well, that gets in. So this is where like my oldest daughter, she got this report card. Not that she was like bad with any of her skills or anything, but like what the teacher wrote a note on the teacher basically said, she's like not good at following direction. And effectively she's like a little insubordinate at like doing what the teacher tells her to do. And so my wife reads it out loud and then she hands the report card to me and she says, this is because of you. And I was like, (laughs) and she's like, this is exactly who you were as a kid. So you need to like talk to her about this to try to fix it. I go, Oh God, you're, totally right that was <laughs> that was like the exact report card that i got was like school was fine but the behavior and like the anti-authority bent was that so i that was like my mom's perfect example of yes things coming full circle and it's totally true so a lot of her personality is like mine in that regard and i had to really rack my brain because i was like god the last thing i wanted to do was to like be a teacher's pet and do all this stuff but eventually over time you find a way to make it work because you can't always like be disrespectful to authority figures and your teachers and parents and all that stuff. It's not going to end well for you. So I got, I got to think about what worked for me because that's probably going to be the best path that works for Olivia. And I had to think a lot, a lot about how all this worked and um, just explaining that like who the teacher is, what she's trying to help you do. The reasoning behind it is what worked for me. I don't know how good, those explanation works for kindergartner or now first grader. Cause I don't think I learned those lessons really until probably my later years of high school. But maybe if I start with that message earlier, uh, <laughs> she'll understand, but that kind of ties everything together. Cause I'm like, Oh yeah. You know, who else is better to explain to her why that's not such a good idea than someone who lived that. And that was a big source of like kind of difficulty and, and issues for me was, you know, just teachers didn't like me cause I was a jerk to them. And I wouldn't listen to what they say. So I was like, wow. Anyways. That's but I think, the- yeah. And I, so, so I, I love that your answer is that I went and I thought a lot, a lot about it and how I'm going to talk to her, how to come alongside her as a kindergarten first grader, instead of just giving the, what does the book say? You know, what does somebody else say? Ask some other dad, which is good, right? I'm not discrediting reading a book. Like I read, uh, I read toddler wise when my three and a half year old was just making my wife cry every single day. So I was like, okay, I gotta, I gotta go get some resources. Cause I, I, our last kid, she is not like our other four. Um, her middle name's joy. I say she brings us a lot of joy, but, but not a lot of happiness. <laughs> Those are different. Uh, joy is accepting life in the, in the struggle. Um, But I like what you said is you went to your history. You went to who am I, what worked for me. And also you're acknowledging this isn't, I'm not going to fix this now. You didn't ever said you were going to fix it. You just come alongside your kid and hope that you can help teach them and guide them, which is a word you used so that they'll be a little further along by the time they're in high school when it maybe starts to matter a little bit more. Yeah. It's not like it, to me, it wasn't like, this is a problem that needs to be fixed. It just says how this is the way you are. Mm. I, I can relate. How do you work with this being, being that this is the case, you know, how, how do you, exist yes. without causing too much trouble. 
how do you go live in society when this is who you are? Because because these traits aren't necessarily bad. And I think that that's important to acknowledge is like when you say you got to fix it, it's making the kid and ourselves feel like there's something wrong with us. But those traits are really important traits depending on the situation that you're in. Totally. Yeah. I mean, to a certain degree, I mean, those are the inherent qualities that they get from you. That's why my wife looked at this. It's like, I never got a report card ever that said anything like that. But I know you probably got all of them like that. I was like, well, that's true. So, um, yeah, that's just, oh, and by the way, you're, you're youngest. You're going to just, you're destroying my theory about how you get better and better at like parenting. So you figure by like the time, if you have a lot of kids, your youngest kid is like perfect in every way. Cause you're a perfect parent given all of your experience. Yeah. Um, it's probably a good theory. The thing that screwed us was that we had four older kids who were all did everything for her. So her life, her world from ages one to three was like a princess, like whatever you want. If me and mom, if mom and dad said, no, just go to a, s- a sibling and they'll handle it. And then it blew up in our faces. So, um, that's the problem. You got to start treating them like crap from real young. Well, you know, when we're <laughs> grandparents, then we're really going to have it dad. Yeah, except then our kids won't want to hear anything we have to say because I don't want any advice from my parents. <laughs> well, it'll probably change again, right? You look at how much parenthood has changed in just the generation from our parents to us. It'll probably change that much again by the time our kids start having kids. Yeah, interesting. I wonder which way, I wonder if, which way it'll go. It'll be a, a, a nation and a society of stay-at-home dads exclusively with only the wives working. A Damn it. We missed it. We missed it. It'll be the peak era for the modern man. (laughs) Okay. You, you know, just to dig into one more thing before my last question, you had made a comment, you know, replicating your childhood, but then improving your experience, you know, improving the experience. So when you look at your own childhood, how do you take, okay, for first, you got to match it up with whatever your wife's childhood was. And you go, well, this is how we did Thanksgiving and Christmas. And this is how we woke up in the morning. And this is what we ate for lunch. And I mean, all the little things, right? So how do you take those two, bring them together and then also enhance, you know, like your experience as being a kid? I, I think the comment was just around when you think about what kind of childhood you want to give to your kids it's rooted in your experience of what childhood was like and so you're like well here's the best things about being a kid Mm. you know for us it was like going outside going to the golf course um you know saving up a dollar and going to harvesters on our bikes and like getting all this candy and you know even as a kid having those those trips up to angwin uh the carpool from from eighth grade all the way through high school that was awesome i love doing that kind of stuff and so you kind of think about like what are my fondest memories as a kid? You say, okay, I'm going to give that to my kids because that was the best thing that I did, but I'm going to make it even better because right. This is, I know what's good and and what my kids are going to like. Um, But like you said, it's like your spouse has the same expectations and you're in a different time, a different era. So, you know, like part of the thing that I thought was so great when we were growing up is like, it kind of feels like the story people tell back, even many generations before us, like we would go out and on the summertime on the weekends, go ride our bikes, hang out, yeah. walk the golf course. We would be gone from like, you know, mid morning until like dinner time. And we, we'd either be at your house or we'd be at my house or wherever we went around. And we had no contact with adults. We had no cell phone. We no were just cell phone. Out roaming around, getting into trouble. 
um, for hours at a time. And then eventually we would just show up at one each other, one another's house when we got hungry, probably. Yeah. And that was what it was like. And it's, it's different now. Like I wouldn't let my girls just walk around. I mean, they're a little bit younger, but you know, we're in a lot more urban area too. So it's not like I'm just going to let them bang around town, you know, a bunch of 10 year olds with nothing to do and $2 in their pocket. That seems like definitely not the right decision. Yeah. Uh, And I mean, that's why my, my, we were born in Los Angeles and my dad was like, I want my kids to have a little bit different or more of an experience of like I had, he grew up in Racine, Wisconsin. Um, and so we moved to Middletown, Hidden Valley, you know, and that's what brought us there was our dad wanting that. So it's interesting as an adult now to go, how do I make those decisions? You know, like what's really important and weighing that out, especially when we live in a world where you, you can kind of live in different places with work, you know, with how work is so remote now. It's almost like, I feel like there's too many options these days. So it's a little crippling. Well, for, for me too, like I, I sometimes find myself wanting to make what I would probably think is of like poor financial decisions, which is like, let's use all of our savings to buy like a, cu- a house in the country, right? Like maybe not Middletown, but maybe something like that. So my kids can run around outside for 10 hours and me not see them. They're totally independent and they could go, you know, like, have a horse or have a goat or something like that. I remember that stables across the the street from us. Yeah. That was normal to see all that stuff. And it's like, there are no horses or goats by our house right now. <laughs> um, but it's like, you know, I think our upbringing was maybe a little bit more rural, particularly where I am right now. Um, and I, I, I feel like that's kind of a, an aspect of their childhood that I really enjoyed and look back on fondly. And I was like, how do I get that for them? Um, but I think at the end of the day, they have a, they have a good childhood. But I still, I still want to provide to them all of the things I experienced as a kid, but even better. Yeah. And it's again, that kind of gets back to this, the same thing I was talking about with having this idealistic persona. Like I want them to, to have all the best education, all the things that kind of a more urban lifestyle have to offer, but at the same time have all the perks and benefits too of, of, of a more rural upbringing. But pretty, so it kind of goes. Hard. Yeah. It goes back to what you said is like, you have this ideal for the perfect life, but you're also realizing life is just messy and it's not going to fully be there. So you do what you can with what you got. Well said. Yeah. Love it, dude. Ian, it has been so fun talking fatherhood with you. I love, I could just tell how much you adore your daughters um, and your wife and to be so engaged with them is dude, our world would look different if there were more men who really embrace the adventure of fatherhood. Um, so my last question to you is a legacy question. So imagine 30 years from now, you're standing out in the street, peering into the homes of your daughters. They may have be married now. They may have kids now, but they're roughly your age today. What is it that you see in their lives that you know that your day in day out decisions as a father and as a guide in their lives? Like, what do you see? Um, as far as that question goes, I don't know. I like to a certain degree, it's like what I want for my kids, like is, is what I had, but a little bit better, you know? So I want them to live in like a similar suburban neighborhood. I want, and, you know, part of the beauty is the struggle too. It's like, it's hard, mm. it's messy, but that's part of the, the reward at the end when you see a good outcome. Um, so going through the struggles just makes the, the end result when you, when you finally raise a, a, a productive, happy, a functioning member of society. That's, that's what I want them to go through. Um, and it's all the, the steps along the way too, to get there, right. It's, it's the, the finding the right spouse, the decision to get married, then the decision to start a family. It's, it's not a, a straight line. There's a lot of kind of 
we'll say frustrations and messiness along the way. And to a certain degree, I want that for them. Maybe a little bit easier, maybe <laughs> a little bit bigger house, right? Um, a few, a few less struggles, but at the end of the day, um, I think we've just had an, an enormous amount of, of good fortune to have kind of everything that we have. I mean, when you think about what the American dream is, I certainly hope that that is, is a reality for people uh, in future generations, right? To, to have two cars, to have a house, the front yard and backyard, friends that live close by, uh, all, that, all that kind of stuff is, is, is what I hope that they'll be able to achieve. And the ability to, to support a family and to live happily and to be able to devote time to, to address the struggles that life brings. I mean, that's all, it's all the journey that we go through. And I kind of want the same thing for them that we've had the same thing mostly that our parents had and our parents before that. Um, I hope that we've started a good thing that's maintainable for them. And even if their life is no better, but consistent to ours and our parents, I, I chalk that up as a win. Yeah. Oh man, dude, I love it. Beautifully said, you know, you want your kids to live their lives, mm-hmm. the, the, the struggle and all the messiness, the fun, all of it. And I think that's our job. Like our job as fathers is to be the guide to come alongside and help them on that journey of life. Perfect. Ian, thank you, my friend. I look forward to watching you and your family grow and just keep being that intentional dad that you are. Awesome. Thanks, Ned. What a great conversation. It was so awesome to get to sit and talk with Ian about fatherhood. What a rad guy, intentional guy. And you know what? I just love that there are men out there who really think about life, who really think about who they are and how they show up and what matters most. And I have been talking about this for a while. And I even say to my outro is that you are the only guy that your kids need. Like you're the only dad. And I love Ian's perspective on it. It's like your personality and your story and your life. This kid is 50% you. And so you know them, you know them and you get to be their guide. And I just love his perspective on it. It was fantastic to dig into and open my eyes a bit more. I want to say thank you to all you dads out there listening to Rebel and Creates Fatherhood Field Notes podcast. What you do matters. Don't be like everybody else. Be yourself. There you go. That is who your kids, spouse, and community needs. This is your guide, Ned Shout. Together, let's rebel against a view that fatherhood has little impact and create lives engaged in mastering the craft of fatherhood. If you can take a quick minute, write a review. That would be very helpful as it helps spread the word that fatherhood matters. Go follow us on Facebook and Instagram to stay in tune with all that Rebel and Create is up to. Talk to you next time. Thank you.